Last week, we, uh, well, actually, I think it's important that we recognize that uh, yesterday was Greg Upham's birthday on Reformation Day. That's right. Now, uh, contrary to popular belief, he's not 29. Yeah, 31-ish or something there, yeah. That's right. All right, well, last week we talked about um, the fact that Yohanan recognizing Yeshua seemed to be a little difficult. Did it come before the dove, after the dove? What, you know, the whole deal there? Um, we talked about fulfilling all tzedakah or all righteousness and what that was all about and, you know, perhaps uh, what was going on there. And then finally, we talked about heaven being opened um, and, and the, the fact that we've got the. Um, Talmudic and sages uh, constantly using that phrase to indicate that we've got a, a vision coming or something up that's uh, about to be um, good. So, before we uh, continue on that same uh, theme, I, uh, I was asked this evening by one of my daughters if the effeminate would have a place in the world to come, and if the Bible said anything about that. And uh, much to my chagrin, she had no idea. So, you know, maybe there's a problem, and you guys don't know it either. You may play like you're a fag, but if you're a fag, I'm sorry, you may play like you sound like a homosexual, but if you are a homosexual, you have some real problems. And not only if you're a homosexual, but if you are even just effeminate. It is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll begin in verse 9 and go all the way to verse 11, just so that you uh, get it in context. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. What does that mean? You're probably being deceived. Neither fornicators... Who are they? Sex outside of marriage nor idolaters, who are they? Just about everybody. Nor adulterers, sex inside marriage with someone else. Nor effeminate. Womanly man. This is male prostitutes. Interesting. Nor homosexuals. Which, by the way, our culture may not cover it, but that's women and men, just so you know nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Just so you're, you're cool and you understand it. Yeah, what's a reviler? Someone who doesn't like vegetables. A reviler. Loiteras. Such, such were some of you, but you were. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Yeshua Hamashiach and in the Spirit of our God. So, 
There you go. Just to make sure we're cool. Turn in your Bibles, if you would be so kind, to Matthew chapter 3. We will pick up where we left off. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Matthew chapter 3, or Matai. Then, picking up in verse 13, Yeshua came from the Galil toward the Yarden to Yochanan to be immersed by him. But Yochanan tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be immersed by you, and did you come to me? Yeshua answered and said to him, Permit me, for so it is appropriate for both of us to fulfill the entire tzedakah. So he permitted him. When Yeshua was immersed, he quickly came up out of the water. Heaven was opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending in the likeness of a dove, and it rested upon him. Then there was a but kol, a voice from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, and thus the chapter ends. So what I'd like to do tonight is talk a little bit about that voice, Bat kol. What's bat kol mean, literally? Daughter of a voice. Okay. Um, it is understood as, as a, a phrase to mean the voice of an unheard speaker. And you can go through the Talmud and sages and, and any, any old writings and, and find that that's the case. In a non-biblical context, man stands on a mountain and he you know, says something. Someone down in the valley hears him. It's a bot coal. Why? Well, you can't see the guy that's saying it. Okay. But it's big in the Talmud. It's a literary device. It's a literary device to teach or introduce some type of biblical prophecy or a story or something like that. So it just kind of opens up in the Talmudic writings. Hey, we're going to get some word from on high now. The prophets teach, and the, the sages teach, that prophecy ceased after the death of Malachi, or Malachi. So when he died, that spirit of prophecy was gone. and no, Nobody did that anymore, and they had to rely on the Batkol. So um, the Batkol kind of sits in as a substitute for the prophets. That's what the sages teach. So, uh, yeah. It can't even contradict, it certainly can't contradict the Word of God. And we see that in the Word of God telling us that, right? Um, and we see in the, uh, in the stories of the Talmud where, you know, even a voice from heaven says something and I can listen to it because it's already been established because the Torah is with us, not up there. You know? So, yeah, exactly right. But from a, from a prophetic perspective, that's what they're looking at. But, but I think that concept, though, is important in 
context of, you know, particularly when somebody... Oh, in our you know, day and age. Somebody comes and says, you know... I got a word from the Lord. The Lord said to me. Yeah. You know, uh, Very popular. Oh, yeah. You know, or, you know, that statement, well, you would, you would never hear me tell somebody that the Lord didn't say that, unless, of course, it's blatantly obvious that it's, you know, contrary to every other truth, right? But, but that, uh, in the context of a community, what the Lord may tell you is only relevant to you. Agreed. And, it's, and, it, has, and it has no authority on the, on the community or on, uh, on the halakhic you know, standards or whatever, which is, I think, some of the points that the sages are trying to make. Absolutely. And, and you raise a good point, because it didn't even occur to me when I was putting the, uh, the lesson together that it's a real big problem these days. And... Um, maybe like me, the hair on the back of your neck stands up when someone says, I got a word from the Lord about you. Or I got a word from the Lord regarding, you know, and I just, and the antenna goes up, and I'm like, I'm already uncomfortable. What, 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 what is it you mean by that? When you say that, I mean, did you hear a voice? I mean, you didn't hear a voice. Did you, you did hear a voice? Oh, is he a bass? Is he, you know, is he, is he a baritone? I'm just curious, you know. Yeah, you know. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I get a rhema. Yeah, same thing. I got a word. So, um, so you raise a, you raise an excellent point. Uh, but I want you to know that the voice from heaven stuff very big in the days of the master, very big. It's interesting you mention it because Paul actually brings that up a little bit when he says in Galatians chapter one. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. It's just intriguing that thinking about. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's that's what I was referring to a minute ago. When you know, the, even the scripture speaks against it. Um, so, but Cole, how many people in the scripture heard voices from heaven? How about how, what do we got in the gospels? What do we got in the gospels? Just in the gospels. Anybody? That wouldn't be in the gospels, but. Exactly, right. So, John 12. Uh, who's got John 12? Anybody? Anybody got the apostolic uh, writings with them tonight? John chapter 12, I think it's around verse 29. Uh, 29? Yeah. Because we got two times in the Gospels that I'm aware of. The crowd that was there. This is the one I think that, that uh, he was just talking about. said it had thundered. Others said it why don't you back up a little bit? Yeah, okay. Um, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and it will glorify it again. It glorified again. And the crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken. So that's, that's what you were just referring to, I think, right? Um, that's, uh, I think that's the triumphal entry, isn't it? You don't understand right? what they're saying when, they, when the crowd says they heard What's your question? Understanding that was to me. It says the people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. But then it says others said angels spoke to them. 
Well, it's interesting because if you take if you take that, I don't know what it is in the Greek, but if you go back to the Hebrew, the word that the word for uh, that word "cold" for voice is sometimes used and translated as thunder. Uh, so, uh, in fact, specifically, if you go back to the mountain and look at the Hebrew there, where the and they, they switch back and forth. In the English, switch switches back and forth. That word coal is used to describe the thunder. So there's a, in the Hebrew language, anyway, there's, there's kind of, there can be a play on that whole idea of hearing the voice of God. It's the same, same thing with Paul. When he, when he was uh, stricken on the road to Damascus. Same kind of deal. He heard the voice. They just seem to hear something else. But Same kind of thing. Doesn't John's revelation also have these sounds like the roaring of waters? Yes. Yeah. Which, it's exactly right. The idea of that thunder, that rumbling sound. Yeah. Well, in the in the shockery, I mean, we pray. Yeah. The voice. Yeah. The voice of glory thunder. That's the that's the. Abraham or Elijah? Abraham, right, as he's passing. Well, Abraham too, but Abraham as he's passing through the covenant of parts. He didn't pass through the covenant of the parts. He was asleep. With the, I'm sorry, I think it's Elijah that heard the small whispering. But he heard, but there was a thundering, and he wasn't in the thundering. You know, there's still small voice. Now, there's there's one other time in the uh, in the Gospels where you've got. Um, this voice from heaven and uh, is, a, is a really cool parallel. Um, do you recall when Moses came down uh, the second time with the tablets from the mountain? And uh, how would you describe him? His face was shining or glowing, as it were. Um, do you remember when the master went up on the mountain with uh, two, of, uh, two or three of his disciples? I think it was Three of them, right? And uh, Peter, James, and John, was it? And uh, he kind of pulled the skin back, and we saw the glory of our Mashiach. And he shone. And there was a voice from heaven there, a bat kol at that time, too. So um, it's, it's cool stuff to, to look at. Um, once it happened that the rabbis sat in the upper room of Guria's house in Jericho when a bat kol... Well, let me start from the beginning. When Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi died, the gift of prophecy departed from Yisrael. After that, they heard prophecy only by means of the bat kol. Once it happened that the rabbi sat in the upper room of Guria's house in Jericho when a bat kol came to them from heaven, saying, One man sitting in your midst deserves that the Shekinah should rest upon him but his generation is unworthy. They all looked at Hillel, the elder. That's uh, Bavli, Sota 48b. It just, to me, rings of the master and the generation and, and all of that. So anyway, the sages were plugged into the Bat Kol. Um, they did have some cautions there, but um, it seemed to be, be happening. 
So turn in your uh, Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17. It should be the last verse of the chapter there. Um, a voice out of the heaven said, and your, your translation may vary, but it's probably something along the lines of, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Is that pretty much what everybody's got? Right? Yeah. Okay. So what I'd like to do is, is, is just tear up that particular verse and look at three parts of that phrase. First, the son part. Second, the beloved part. And then third, the well-pleased part. And if I get it backwards, we'll just throw them in a different order and we'll edit the tape. So, the sun part appears to be referring back to Psalm 2. Psalm 2, the first couple of verses, talks about that. So, who's got that in a nice, robust voice and in something? That's exactly right, yes. So, the parallel in this one. Yeah. Go ahead. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. There you go. So we've got a great reference back written by this Jewish man named Yochanan and uh, paralleled by Matityahu or Matai. Um, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is my beloved son. Okay. So what does that mean? Was he not the son the day before that? Right. There's something about the word begotten that I can't remember. Well, we're not a begotten. We're on son. But my only begotten son, the only son part, I think we can deal with, right? A great parallel, right? But what about the son thing? Was Yeshua the son two days before his baptism? Before the mikvah? Or did he become the son there? It is interesting. And there's actually some you know, different faiths that believe that he wasn't the son until... Come up out of the water. The uh, adoptionism or uh, Manachianism, uh, both, are, you know, they, these are the uh, same thing. They're, they're teaching that, you know, he was adopted at that point by God. Great guy adopted by God and became his son at that point. There's a little problem with that, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. So, what do we believe? was the son before his baptism, but it wasn't, the revelation wasn't known to Yochanan until after he came out of the water. Except that the scripture says that nobody heard the voice but Yeshua. Doesn't it? But what was it? Yochanan well, told that you'll know. He speaks to he's him. speaking to one person. But it's unclear. It's, well, it is unclear if he's speaking to John or if he's speaking to Yeshua. I think I can demonstrate Yeshua in a second. Absolutely. In fact, chapter 4 begins that way. So what's the deal with the son then? Was he the son prior to this? 
Yes. Well, he was at creation, right? I mean, the 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 Lamb, who is the Son, was slain before the foundation of the world. I mean, I just I don't think there's a problem there. Um, I think theologically, we're going to be struggling and grasping at straws if we try and play some word games to say that Yeshua was first was just a guy and then got grabbed by God or something. You know, around the age of 34. That does, that does just won't work for us, right? Um, the other side of the coin, I guess, would be that he was fully divine, but had a different kind of relationship with the Father. Or I, I, I don't get it. So It's kind of a similar argument as trying to figure out, you know, God's chosen. But yeah. They, there's a certain time when they're, like, when the Spirit fell. Oh, that was when they were saved. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just, it seems to be difficult. Why does it have to be informational? Why, can't why does what have to be informational? In other words, why does the voice saying, you are my son, have to be imparting unknown information prior to that point? Why, why, if it's why would he to, say it? Why would he say it? I think he could be saying it for our benefit. I mean, in scripture, like Judaism today, there's, you, we repeat things all the time. Okay. Know. I don't necessarily see it as being... Um, I mean, like with, uh, I don't necessarily see, I think the parallel with David is important to highlight the link as Yeshua being the Davidic Messiah. But I don't think that the, the idea that is in Psalms where it looks like he's saying, you didn't know this before, but by the way, you're my son, today I begot you, is necessarily the idea that has to be conveyed here. And because especially when you look at John chapter 1, Yohanan responds by saying, I heard this voice, this is the one that I've been speaking about. And then he says, this is the Son of God. It almost sounds like he was informed more so than Yeshua was. It could be. Because he said he was before him. John said that. Yeah, but we went through last week that... John told him was months. Yeah, what's, what's going on with John? Did he know it was him? Did he not know it was him? Steps out of the crowd before he got in the water. He knows it's him. So, yeah, there's a whole lot of hickiness going on there. Yeah. But that's this is great. Keep going. Another interesting take there is, you know, of course, is a Kohen. Uh, and Yeshua, a Navi. Yeshua is the Lamb, right? Because when he approaches, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Right? He's a Lamb from Bethlehem, which is where the lamps that were used in temple service were raised and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Cohen can declare a lamb fit or certain. Or unfit. Or unfit. So, it's, there's an interesting parallel there when you have when you have Yochanan who is a who is a Cohen um, and uh, you know, a, Making a, a declaration. Of, uh, and, and I, I've studied this on my own to, to have a, a take one way or the other, but I know there are those who believe that uh, that it was it was the, through that through the family that included um, Zechariah and Yochanan that probably should have been the, the actual proper high priest, because we know the high priest at the time was not the proper high priest, exactly. according to the lineage. Right. So, 
So, so I don't know if that's true, but if, if, if you assume for a moment that there's some truth to that theory, that the Yochanan very well could have been legitimate Kohen Kohen Gadol at the time, but yet he's out in the wilderness, you know, and here here is this Kohen, potentially the, the true high priest who's supposed to be in office at that point, declaring the Lamb as, hey guys, I'm the Kohen, here's the Lamb, you know. Amen. There's some interesting That's kind awesome. of... Amen. That's that. cool. Oh, absolutely. You bet. Um, I have a Psalm 2 passage. Yes. Going back uh, uh, to the Tanakh, it seems to me that this timing marker where the scripture is found, the reference is referring to the days of Mashiach. So the sages are big on Psalm 2. It makes me think. It makes me think of the fact that, uh, well, just a couple verses prior, let us cast their cords from us. So it seems to me that progeny of those that are chafing on the Shiites rule during the millennial reign are, are the ones that are going, hey, this is my son. Yeah, no question. It's Kiss the son. It's, be angry, right? it's messianic, no question. Right. No question. Yes? And I think also this particular incident is probably the second time we see in the Gospel of Matthew the actions that Shiites bin Yosef is supposed to display. So, in other words, first he's sent down to Egypt, and he's coming back. And then in this instance, he's being mikvah, he's coming back up. And each, so each time there's a picture of Mashiach ben Yosef, and it's the second time, and it's the completion, really, of, of the Exodus story, first out of Egypt, and then you're mikvah, that, that, that Hashem does say, this is my son. Son is the Jewish code word for this is my Mashiach ben Yosef. This is what he's going to do. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. And, and we're about to get it, uh, on the rest of this. Um, more into the whole Egypt story and the parallels there, so I think we'll see that. Uh, but I, I like I like Joshua's comment here that you know who was this for? You know, obviously everybody didn't hear it. You know, you get the bot call and, and it, was, it was seemingly said to one person. And I think you've only got two players that it could have been said to, right? It was either said to John or it was said to Yeshua. Exactly. So it's one or the other. I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take take the side on Yeshua there, just you know, to to play the other side here. If you look at the uh, at the rest of the Gospels, Yeshua makes a point about referring to himself as the Son and speaking of God as his Father. After this. I think that's poignant. John never does. John never never touches the son-father thing at all. He's strictly on the lamb deal. That whole priest perspective. perspective. John does say son in John chapter 1. They testify this is the son of God. That's before the baptism, and that's just the first time. It's after baptism. But you're right in the sense that his recounting of the voice speaking doesn't say the same thing to him. Yeah, and not only that, but after the baptism, after the mikvah, 
John is second-guessing. Are you, are you the one? You know? So I'm thinking it's possible, just possible, that uh, the message is delivered to Yeshua, that the Father was telling him something he may have sensed. Remember, he's fully man, right? He's reduced himself, right? He's given up, not, no longer grasping onto his divinity, right? So... Um, I'm not saying he's any less God. Don't don't misunderstand. I think you're you're with me on this. But he is fully man. I think he senses he, he's got an incredible relationship with God and a desire to know him, please him, and, and all of that. But here, what he was sensing is actually made known to him personally and confirmed. Yeah. So his self identity as the son of son of God is found. In this revelation, he receives from heaven. I think that works. And his statements about himself and that whole relationship, father and son thing, afterwards, just, yeah, seem to just pound on it. Hang on one second. Yes, sir. I was going to ask, um, when Yeshua was 12 years old and he was in the temple, and Joseph and Miriam had left him, and then they come back yes. and ask him why he did that. Did you not know? Yeah, we're in my father's house. Yeah, in that kind of thing. House. Yeah. So did he? I guess it wasn't fully confirmed until after. His exactly. Birthday. I'm. I'm thinking that he knew he's got a mission. Okay. Right. He's. He's got to do something. He's got something he's being called to, but perhaps he didn't have it clarified. Okay. And exactly. here we get the clarification of. I want you to know. No question. Okay. So obviously, he knows. Miriam, he knows something's up. Miriam and Yosef both know this is a special child. Yeah. And so, um, you know, this is of course all speculation, but you gotta, you know, it, it would not be far fetched to assume that they recounted the story. Perhaps. To him. Perhaps. So he had a sense. Yes. But, but I, 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 I see where you're, you're coming from, and I think it's perfectly fine. I mean, he, there was a point in time where, just as you said, he is being he is being inaugurated into the full sense of his ministry yes. as a Mashiach yes. on this earth. And we see a change that's so dramatic that chapter 4 opens with, he started his public ministry, he's about 30 years old, and... Now we look at what he's saying, and he's claiming this son-father relationship. So um, I, I don't want to, like you said, speculation on what Mary and, and Yosef told, Miriam and Yosef told to their son. I'm real careful about, you know, this guy says something about my son, my daughters, whatever. I'm real careful about, you know, playing that to the kids because, you know, you never know, you're going to torque them out and they get, you know, feel all, all nasty and poor if they don't happen to step to the plate in that regard. So I, I tend to be one to shy away from those kind of statements. Um, we also have the scripture saying that Miriam normally kept her mouth shut, pondered all these things in her heart over and over again. You know, we see this, you know, oh, yeah, well, that's another thing I should, you know. So, you know, she's obviously writing a book and looking for the book deal, but, you know, who knows what happens there. I had a couple of hands. Yes, Kenneth. Yeah, I was just thinking that, uh, I mean, uh, I never thought of it that way, that, uh, you know, that, that Messiah probably needs some 
confirmation of his identity there, but it's just sort of coincidental that after that, his identity is tested. We're going right there, Ken. Hold that thought, because that's exactly, I, I believe that that is more fodder for this particular uh, point. I do think it works for John. Even if the voice was for John and Yeshua didn't hear it. Same kind of deal. Because it's obvious the two of them spoke. But if it's for John, you got to question, he's heard a voice from heaven? He's seen the Spirit descend and rest upon this one. He's seen a fulfillment of a word given to him. And now he's second-guessing? <laughs> That's just too many things. I, I'm, 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 just, I'm just wondering. I, guess, I, I would side with that side that it was he was speaking to John. I guess because mostly how the English is worded here. It seems odd that God would be talking in the third person directly to Yeshua because he's saying, this is my son. Almost like you would be talking about somebody, not directly to them. Which is, and that might just be the English. But. It, yeah, because I think the English can be, you are my son. Well, I was just about John, though. He did see the Spirit come upon him. Yes. In John chapter 1, he upon whom you see yes. the Spirit. No, no question. He saw the Spirit. The yeah. So, so he saw the Spirit. If he also heard the voice... If he picked him out of the crowd before he even got into the mikvah, you got a question. There is one other possibility besides those two as being purpose for the statement. Is maybe it was spoken only to Yeshua, but the purpose was not so much for him as much as it was for us. It was written down in all four Gospels. Right. Could be. And that's why I would ask the question. I mean, if Yeshua was the only one who heard it or who received it, whatever, and he had to obviously tell yeah, a bunch of people because it ended up in all four Gospels. Yes. But, but just to make sure, you're, so Messiah was no less Messiah at, at any point. Yes. This is where God says, okay, go get him. Yeah, basically, as, as your dad was saying, more of a, uh, an affirmation of who you are and let's get this ministry going now. Just so we're clear about who you are. You're my son. That kind of thing. Prior to this, yeah. Yeah. After the twelve-year-old deal, yeah. we've got him increasing in wisdom and stature, and among uh, uh, God and man. He never performs a miracle until after this event. He wasn't resurrected from dead birds. So, which is really cool. I mean, it's clear that the the anointing that he was that he had as Mashiach did not come into its which is I think the picture of the, of the spirit coming down, coming down. And, and, and remember the spirit coming down is not the key guys don't miss that passage the key is that the spirit came down and rested upon him that's the key it wasn't that the spirit would come down it was that it would come down and rest on him it would stay there exactly right yes sir good point And it even came down to when he was talking to the father about the cup. Yeah, sure. And, it, and all, in all these acts, it was what the father would decide. So it was, he knew he was the son, but the father declared the time that this would happen. 
Yeah. That's, that's that works. That works. I like that. And, and, and let's make sure we're clear, guys. It, this isn't a right or wrong thing. This isn't a, we got to figure it out. This is the whole conversation, right? This is us talking about the scriptures, right? Yes, sir. It's after he was put into prison. Uh, Which is why I give John a little bit of a buy there, because the circumstances under which he sends the messenger... Don't really sound like what he was looking for. Yeah, I mean, he's in prison about to be, you know, about to to be decapitated or whatever, you know, and and his his disciples are equally being persecuted. So he's under a lot of stress. Yeah. You know, so I give him a... He's human. Yeah, I give him a little bit of buy there to say, you know, he sends one of his disciples just to say, yeah, you are the one we're looking for, right? Or, or, or should we wait for another one? Yeah, exactly. And the response, of course, is a great response. Oh, right, right from the Tanakh. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, sir. I have a question about that because... Um, that is an indifferent pronoun reference. You have a question about... About that, about that instance with... Um, John in John prison. In prison. Okay. Whether Yeshua is the one or should we look for another? Um, because I've heard that there are two versions of Messiah. There's the first coming and then, you know, of course, the second coming. Okay. Then, the sages had a similar concept. Right, exactly. Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David. So when he read the Isaiah scroll, Yeshua did in the temple and said, you know, this day uh, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing after he recited Yeah. Could it be that John was asking which version of Mashiach is coming? Yeah, that could that could work. Yeah, and and it, yeah, exactly. And and that you know gives him a better buy than than just only circumstance of his own life, but also you know I'm I'm not a putz. Which which side are we looking at? In that particular instance, he's, he you know he stops in the middle of that verse. He doesn't quote the whole verse. He does not quote. Right, exactly. Uh, this is the, the, the day of the vengeance of your Right. Because it wasn't the day of vengeance. Right, it wasn't. That, that part of the verse gets fulfilled later on. By, it, by David. David. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right. Just well, let's. One of the things, yes. John, thinking about, um, since he is coming in the spirit of Elijah, you could also argue this is sort of his Elijah moment. Because right after Mount Carmel, where voice comes from heaven, but cold. and uh Elijah runs off, I mean, the rain happens, everything, the miracle after miracle, success upon success, and it doesn't change anything. And Jezebel is still in charge, and she's butchering people, and she's threatening to go kill Elijah, or basically something along those lines. And Elijah's off in the wilderness running for his life, and he's like, just kill me already, it's hopeless. I mean, that's kind of almost where John is at this point. Yeah. He's seen all this stuff happen, but where has it gotten him? He's in prison, about to be killed by someone who's in charge that hasn't changed. Which, which if you think about it, is an, ex- an astounding parallel back to Eliyahu and just promotes the fact that he was in the spirit and the power of Eliyahu. That's, that's excellent. All right, so that was the one word, son. So um, let's... Uh, yeah, let's let's go ahead down now to beloved. This is my beloved son. Um, I'm, I'm looking for some Ramez. 
When, when you hear beloved son, what do you think about? Bam! Yeah. Give me the word. The Akeda. The Akeda. Take now your son, your only son. Got a lot of sons there, right? Whom you love, Isaac. Bereshit 22.2 My beloved son, literally, my son, the beloved. And in a servant song in Isaiah 42, um, you've you got a great parallel. Great parallel. Um, Matthew's translating chosen one, Bachir, as beloved, as uh, Akapetas, actually Agapetas. Um, beloved one has become a title for Mashiach by the time you get to Paul's writings in Ephesians. Somebody got Ephesians 1 6. How does he open up that book? Read me the first six or seven verses of Ephesians. Well, we're looking at this another reference that comes to my mind is the Song of Solomon. Yeah. And thinking about the beloved becomes a title for God. Yes. The sages see Song of Solomon as an analogy between God and his people. Yeah. And, you know, if, if Mashiach is ultimately God, that works real well as well. And Who's God? on the door, like in Song of Solomon in Revelation. Yes. Chapter 3, yeah. Who's got Ephesians 1? Go ahead. You got it? Oh, you got it. One six. Yeah. No. Give me. Give me the. Give me. Give. Give me the first six. The first six. Okay. Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In the beloved. I'll tell you what, if you've read any of Paul or Shaul, you know the only thing we're in is in Messiah. We're in Messiah Yeshua, and we're in the beloved. So, this whole beloved thing and, and uh, Abraham's son, whom he loves, uh, just needs to bring you back and make you recognize that this bat kol may have been given us just a little bit more than just, hey, you're my son. Let's, let's go get him. You know? Yeah. And you know, you, now you've got the parallel between the father offering the son whom he loves. So um, we've got the definition of the son and we've got the description of the relationship between the father and the son. Thinking back, I just want to clarify because I, I missed last week. Fulfilling all righteousness, Yeshua is the second Adam. Mm-hmm. So as a representative for the human race, he's also submitting to John's baptism. Correct. To repentance. But in also in a sense now what we're saying is that this is sort of uh, the preparation for him as that sacrifice. Precisely. Precisely, yeah. And uh, we kind of um, summarized the uh, fulfilling old tzedakah last week as, as doing things the proper way, right? If we look throughout, 
the mikvah has to begin all work of drawing near. You know, whether you're the priest or you're the parishioner, you got to pass through the water before you draw near. And he did. And as he does, we get the batkol. So it's cool stuff. Isaiah 42, uh, by the way, Lamentations Rabbah and Ecclesiastes Rabbah use the beloved uh, as uh, taglines for Mashiach all over the place. All right, let's move on to uh, in whom I am well pleased, well pleased. Uh, Isaiah 42, who can open up with that first verse there for me? You got it? Go ahead. You are my servant who I uphold, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. In whom my soul delighteth. Um, we have a Hebrew idiom, your soul delighting in something. You see this uh, also in, uh, uh, in the description in Isaiah about uh, Shabbat. You know, if you make the Shabbat a delight, right? So it's a Hebrew idiom, and in the, Hebrew, in the uh, Greek, it comes out with whom I'm well pleased. So we've got, we've got a great parallel there. Well, and then the, the second part of that verse, the very next thing says, I put my spirit on Exactly, and, that, and that's where I'm going. Uh, that's, it's a, that's, that was the fundamental bottom line of the mikvah moment, right? It's that he came up out of the water, and we heard the bot call, and we saw the Spirit rest on him. That's cool. It's neat also that it's the soul delighting in something, because that's always something that's from God. It's something that we have control of. That's it's right. It's not anything the flesh delights. That's good. That's good. Excellent. But it's also a pretty impassioned thing, because the word soul um, in this particular reference is nefesh. Yeah. Which if I remember correctly, for some reason, but none of this topic, you're talking about your soul wanting something, it's like it's like it's necessary to love. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, I'm hungry for this and chocolate sounds good. It's more like I'm dying of thirst and I need water kind of concept. Yeah, and your soul yearning and desiring that righteousness is what we should be doing. Right? Okay. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You don't hunger and thirst. I'm sorry? There it is. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, this is this is cool. Um, if you consider that these idioms are the same, and we're pulling it from Isaiah 42, and you've got all those various um, messianic plays and songs and so forth, then it appears that the bot call, the voice from heaven, identifies or equates Yeshua, our Yeshua, as the subject of all of Isaiah's servant of the Lord prophecies. So if you're talking to a Jew, and you can equate this in this fashion, you got a slam dunk now on Isaiah and that whole servant thing. You don't have to play games when you get to Isaiah 42 and 58 and, you know, and all of those, 56 is, uh, and 53, yeah, it's the servant of the Lord. And we know the servant of the Lord in some ways is Israel, but in some very specific ways is Mashiach, and that Mashiach is Yeshua. Okay? It's cool. Um, Jerome, our favorite priest who uh, did our chapters, 
uh, has some snippets uh, from the Gospel of the Hebrews, which we don't have anymore. Um, But I thought this one was cool. Listen, it happened that when the Lord ascended from the water, he's writing about this, right? Um, The whole fountain of the Holy Spirit descended and rested upon him and said to him, My son, I expected you among all the prophets that you should come and that I should rest upon you. For you are my rest. You are my firstborn son who shall reign in eternity. Now that's cool. That's really cool. The idea that the Holy Spirit expected Yeshua among all the prophets kind of can go two ways, right? It can be that all the prophets spoke about Yeshua, which is true, or that the Spirit of God is actually looking for that righteous one, that tzaddik, in each one of the prophets, and rests his spirit on each one, but can't rest it fully and remain as he did with Yeshua. So it just kind of opens up this long line of righteous men culminating with the righteous one. I like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of comes together in in uh, in, a, in a perfect way. Yes, he spoke through them, but in these latter days, he spoke to us through Yeshua. Yeah, it's very cool. I I just think that um, if 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 this if this kind of a study doesn't lift up for you. Our Messiah Yeshua. Something's wrong, guys. You're 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 not paying attention. I do like that firstborn because that also makes the son title make so much more sense. Because if you think about the firstborn as being the receiver of the inheritance, more than just the traditional Christian line, well the son was the image of the father. Well that's true, but in the idea of legally the significance of the firstborn and how the firstborn inherits yes. the father's Father's title, Father's property. Um, when we think about like the ancient days of Daniel, where um, the Messiah comes and sits on his throne. Yes. Again, that, that imagery then, you know, kingdoms are granted him. The firstborn then is, is, it carries that title language as opposed to, he's my, I gave birth to this person as my son. Right. Exactly. And, 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 uh, I'm sorry, the, um, the, the concept that he is the son um, and that firstborn is not just that he gets all those things, but he also gets the role, right? So we see that Yochanan was a priest, right? Why? Because his dad was, right? And we, all, we already saw when we looked at the lineage of, of Yeshua that um, if he was through the um, Leverite uh, marriage, in this guy's line, that's all well and good. But it was already demonstrated that if you were born by Leverite marriage into a priest's home, you still weren't a priest. You could not inherit the role through that Leverite marriage. So you need that direct descent. Firstborn. Yeah. Well, Isaiah 53 about the uh, 
firstborn, my righteous servant will justify many and will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him many as a portion. He will receive the mightiest spoil as he submitted himself to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he will descend of many and interceded for the rebels. So there's the connection between the Roman Shiach as the suffering servant unto death. Therefore, he will, I will give him the many as a portion as part of the firstborn having the inheritance. That's right. That's right. But, but it also speaks to the need for a resurrection or the need for a second, you know. And so it's, it's, it's beautiful how it comes together. Yes, sir. There it is. Yeah. 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 So it's good. Very good, guys. Um, Isaiah eleven two. Let's see got. Isaiah eleven two. Anybody? Isaiah eleven two. I'll take one and two. I'll take it. One and two. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and so the Spirit is going to rest upon this one. So I, I, I really see that this one little bot coal that we tend to sort of minimize here in uh, the back end of Matthew chapter 3 unlocks for us Psalm 2, Genesis 22, Isaiah 42, and ultimately uh, in Isaiah 11 we see just a, a crowning of the beginning of that ministry of the Mashiach, who is, in fact, the Son of God. It is, it's just a, a, a wonderful key. Um, Sirach 24-7. How many of you read Sirach this past week? None of, nobody? Okay. Yeah. So you thought about it, yeah. Wisdom says, Among them all I was looking for a place of rest in whose heritage shall I dwell? Unbelievable. Looking for that. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. He's good. He's good. All right. We close up quickly here um, with looking for some major remez. You shouldn't need your Bible here. You should have it all in the head. See how you do. Um, what happens when he comes up out of the water? We hear the bot call. By the way, we're looking for two witnesses, two or three witnesses to confirm every matter. I think I just got two witnesses. Who are the two witnesses? About who Yeshua is. The Bat Kol and Yochanan HaMakvil. Right? John says, before he even bows it, Whoa! That's that lamb. That's the one I was telling you about. Comes forward. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can you see him covering the mic? I should, you should be baptizing me. No, but let's, it's, it's okay, Johnny. It's all right. Let's do it right. You baptize me. What happens right after that? Comes up out of the water. We get the bot coal. Does he go into the desert? Does he? Not the devil. 
the Spirit leads him, and in one, uh, one passage, the Greek actually has uh, uh, ekbalo. I mean, it, it's like he's been tossed. You know, the, the bolo, the, you, you, you throw it. The same, it's the same root word, you know. He's thrown, as it were, into the wilderness. He's impelled in one English version. He is driven into the wilderness by by the Spirit, not by Hasatan, not of his own choosing, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness. So, what I want to look at now is some parallels. I'll give you the first one. Um, in Mark one twelve, by the way, is where, where I was talking about. Um, how long is he in the wilderness? Forty days. So, just like Yochanan Hamakvil, he's in the wilderness. He's in the wilderness. Now, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six. I've got six little Remezite deals here we're going to look at. So give me one. Azazel. Good. I like it. What do we talk? Come on, talk about it. Or the goat. He's being impelled. Yes. Good, yes, and he is, yeah, good, excellent. Another one. Delay too long, I'll give you one. Yes, nope. Yeah, it was a buck. <laughs> as far as the testing, his testing for 40 days. Good. The testing of Israel. Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3. Somebody give it to me. Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3. Yeah, the Lord tested you in the wilderness for 40 years. You had plenty of food to eat, you didn't grow faint under the sun, your shoes didn't wear out, your clothes didn't rot, stuff like that, right? Deuteronomy 8, 2 uh, two and 3. So the testing of Israel. What else? Forty days. Moshe Rabbeinu, the future Redeemer, will be like the former Redeemer. Forty days he was up on Mount Sinai, and he came down that second time with the tablets written by the finger of God, and his face shone. Forty days. Good. Noah. Noah. Noah? Forty days and forty days. Oh, it's raining. Nah, I'm not going to buy that. Now. So that's a wet one. But you mentioned Eliyahu, Right? Eliyahu, right? He journeyed to the mountain to seek direction from God. Oh, maybe that was you. Was that you? It was you. We talked to Eliyahu. Oh, it's just both of you. Okay. So, you know, he journeys to the mountain, and he's 40 days. He fasted for 40 days, went to the mountain in order to get direction, and we see the ministry starting as soon as he comes out of the, uh, the wilderness. Did Noah shut the door on the boat, or did God God. Okay, there's where correlation. Okay. 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 Yes. Good. Good. Zamach. Another interesting one. 
lot in the prophets, especially with regards to Israel, um, but it actually also shows up in Song of Solomon. It talks about Solomon on his wedding day, what is this coming up from the wilderness? And the imagery, I think, is kind of drawn, Sinai with God in the wilderness with the people of Israel. But again, that kind of same image of this um, character, the king, coming from the wilderness on his, on his wedding day. Yeah, cool. I like it. Yeah. The... Um I read somewhere that uh, that whole trusting for provision thing with the Israelites, that if this one would redeem Israel, then he needed to be in the wilderness one day for every year that they were in the wilderness. Oh, that's very cool. You know? I don't know about the 40 days. I'm sure you could find the Gematria in here somewhere. But in Genesis 12, when Abraham is talking to Sarah, and he says, I'm going to make is led into Egypt, which mm. has always mm-hmm. been a source of testing. Yes. He gets basically tested with the whole thing with his wife. Yes. And then God takes him out of there. Okay. Okay, I like it. It's a good parallel. I don't know about the, about the numbers. How about this? Um, we just had 40 days of repentance. How, how so? 30 days of Elul plus... The ten days of the of awe, the ten high holy days, right? And it culminates on Yom Kippur with Azazel, with that goat. Um, that's cool. After the golden calf, Moses goes back up 40 days, fasts, and descends with the Torah again with the glowing face. And the sages say he descended on Yom Kippur. So, it was the 120th time, yeah. <laughs> he did 40, 40, and 40. Yeah. And intercede comes down on a woman, or comes down on. Uh, right before that. Right before that, and then uh, goes up on a little one. Comes down on Yom Kippur. Time, yeah. With the second set tablets on. Yeah, it's so cool. So um, it, it, we just went through this, but the Yom Kippur liturgies are replete with references to this legal showdown between Hasatan and Israel. I mean, that's that's all we're talking about, right? is that will be found because of him. Um, as a, yeah, the courtroom scene. So basically you've got um, a Yom Kippur-style wilderness fast day showdown with Hasatan. That's cool. And he's stepping right to that parallel on our behalf to be every part of that deal, including the goat with the sin. Man. Whew. Hey, that'll preach, guys. That'll preach. Anything else before we take a break? We're going to talk about the temptations next time I get a chance to get before you. Um, and you need to be prepared because uh, you're going to feel badly. I just want to prepare you. Just, you're going to feel badly. You're going to feel like a weasel. A real numb nut. So, uh, but we'll talk about that. So now we've discussed the genealogies, the mikvah, the batkol, the spirit descending, and then him being impelled or thrown into the wilderness uh, at the behest of the spirit. And I really believe that 
in order for us to properly lift up Yeshua as the Messiah, we should be able to not only recount the story like we got on the flannel graph at church, but we should be able to tie it right back to all these references in the Tanakh. And we should know the references in the Tanakh better than we know the Gospels. What do you got? Four little books to go through to find the story? Come on. Right? That's not where we need to be studying. We need to know what it says, and we need to know why it says it. So you should have had three or four fabulous references back into the Tanakh, uh, the Nevi'im, the uh, Ketuvim, even the Torah. Uh, on this, as we as we look through this, um, you claiming with a great amount of zeal that Yeshua is the Messiah means nothing. Zero. It means nothing. I I I meet on a regular basis people who think they got it right, and they are very zealous, and they're very genuine. And they're very wrong. You need something besides your zeal. You need to be able to tie it back to something that never changes. You need to tie it back to the Tanakh. Amen? Amen. Let's take a break. And then we hear about cross-dressing, which hopefully never changes either. <laughs>